please, let him through. Hey, it's all right. hey, 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 hey. And thank you to WWE for that wonderful video package, that wonderful anthology of all your greatest moments. It must have been a special treat for you, considering at the time you probably weren't coherent enough to remember any of it anyways. As if they don't have too much on their plates, the Kings of Combat Sports Podcast, John and Wade. They talk about the things they did that day. They'll analyze the work of Vince and Triple H. Rewind to SmackDown. Rewind to SmackDown. Welcome everybody to Rewind to SmackDown. I'm John Pollock. He's Wei Ting. Welcome to the show. How are you, Wei? Not bad. Doing pretty good. How are you? There's a hesitation there. Um, I was like, you caught me kind of mid, um... Drink? No, I, I just had some saliva in my mouth. I was in the midst of clearing it when you asked me the question. Oh. But I'm good. I'm the good. The substance, not not the band. You didn't have like no, a song was, at the tip no, of your No, I was tongue. in the you midst were... of listening to some saliva. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You had always at the end of your uh, your taste buds. The whole thing, actually. Yeah. The whole catalog. <laughs> well, that's wonderful. Uh, that's great. Did you have a, an enjoyable, productive Tuesday? I think so. That's I good. think so. Yeah. How was your Tuesday? Uh, it was all right. It was uh, trying to cram a lot into a, a fragmented amount of time. I did this interview with this uh, with this app that uh, was just interviewing me about my career and had really no knowledge of wrestling or anything like that. So that was mean, kind of fun. What do you mean an app? Like okay, somebody well, fr- working from with the company that that produces the app. Okay, so I've I've mentioned this before that I use this. Uh, this program called Grammarly. It's the Grammarly app. And I don't want this to come off like an ad, but uh, I use it. And I guess someone on Twitter heard me talk about this and asked me, hey, what was that app you you use? And I said, Grammarly. And I don't know if someone at their company just vanity searches Grammarly, but they found my tweet and contacted me and realized, as a Grammarly user, we have looked into what you do for a living would you be interested in being profiled in this series of interviews we've been doing? I was like, all right, sure. And anyway, we had been playing like email tag for the last month to try and lock down a day to do this because they wanted like 40 minutes or so. So anyway, we finally did it today. That was part of my day. That's interesting. Being interviewed. Wow. So where, where can people find that? They said they're going to be releasing it sometime around uh, New Year's. So when it comes out, I will put it out. I think it's going to be like a written story. I don't know. I, 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 I don't even know, to be honest. I'm pretty sure it's going to be uh, written and not audio. But, um, yeah, I will, I will let you know when it comes out. And, yeah, talked about uh, just different career stuff. That's really impressive. Yeah. You're, they, you're... Said, they said as a thank you, uh, they're going to give me – uh, Grammarly Plus, their premium service for a year. It's like, wow. Oh, you've really made it, man. I've made it. I, I get the, the premium Grammarly upgrade, yeah. which it, it's a very uh, sneaky form of advertising that they do because you'll do your your work and it'll say Grammarly caught X amount of mistakes. Like say there were 23 mistakes it caught that you can correct. And then it's just subtle. It's like, Grammarly Plus can detect 
50 mistakes. So by not upgrading, you're just putting out mistakes. And that stuff drives me nuts. Why? I don't know if you can tell. I'm a little OCD with stuff like that. So, so, uh, they'll, now, so they'll basically correct you maybe at like a fifth grade level. But if you upgrade to pro, they'll probably I wonder what the cutoff you. is. I'm not sure what the cutoff is. It's like all basic stuff. But yeah. as Way can tell, uh, the uh, my grammar always is uh, in need of certain improvements. No, no, I I don't think so. I think it's. It's really improved, I have to say, over the past year. Maybe yeah. thanks to this app. God, when are we going to get some money from this Grammarly? Huh? Uh, I, I don't know. I, they're interviewing us, so we'll at least get some. They said that their network is in, I don't know. Who knows? Who knows how many people will read this? If there's a uh, rival gra- grammar app out there who wants yeah. to sponsor John... Who's Grammatically good. correct. That should be the name of the rival app that's yeah, out there. We're taking bids. Well, are you ready to uh, put on your seatbelt and dive into some news? We got some weird stuff today. We've got we've got everything spanning the globe. Are you set way? Let's do it. All right. Are you familiar with this uh, former wrestler turned MMA fighter who will be dabbling into commentary coming up in December? Named Philip Jack Brooks. CM Punk. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard of him. Well, he was interviewed by friend of the show, Mark Raimondi, uh, at MMA Fighting about uh, his upcoming gig. He's promoting, he's going to be calling uh, CFFC, which is a group out of uh, New Jersey that uh, former UFC PR head Dave Schaller is a part owner in. And he was able to uh, call up CM Punk, get him to do commentary. So he's going to be doing that on Fight Pass on December the 14th, going head to head with Final Battle. I wonder how much crossover there is. I would say two people, maybe, in the world. You and Mark Ramondi, perhaps. Maybe. Maybe. That that might be it. I'm definitely going to check out this show. I do want to hear Punk do commentary. And that's the total draw for me to watch a CFFC card. I'd be somewhat curious. Yeah, it's one of those kind of check out after the fact things, if, if, if whether he does well or not. Yes. So, of course, Mark... Worked in some wrestling questions at the end that, of course, is going to get uh, shows like us to uh, to cover it. And he was asked about the potential of the all-elite wrestling uh, startup with Cody and the Young Bucks. And Punk had this to say. I won't go through the entire answer, but he says, I think at this point that whatever those guys decide to do will be great for them and their families. If I was asked what I would do or what I would say to them uh, – because they could obviously go to WWE whenever they want. It's just a matter of of what is best for your family. And I think we live in a time now where WWE is not the end-all, be-all. I don't think it has been for quite some time. I think the stigma that it is still there and probably will persist for many, many years, but enough people have been there and left that can. I guess, extol the knowledge of, hey, you know what? This place ain't all that. And he goes on to uh, kind of discuss his own thoughts on the matter, was very media savvy to take that question and pivot it into a CFFC plug by getting it back on topic, uh, but then also ending it by saying, pro wrestling is not on my radar. And when he followed up about if he would listen to an offer that they made, if this thing were to get off the ground, he stated that uh, business is business. I know Cody was out there in the media saying that an offer was made, uh, this being for All In in September, an offer was not made. Calling me up or texting me saying, hey, if you want to come to the show and do something, we would love that, is not an offer. That's not an offer. 
Mm-hmm. No. But I don't uh, read much into this. I think that CM Punk, uh, he still goes on uh, in this interview to talk about how he is just trying to get free of pro wrestling. He feels he is still tied down to wrestling because of all the legal situations that have followed him since he left the company. And he just wants to be free of all of that. So... Nevertheless, I think CM Punk uh, is someone that will listen to an offer, but I really don't get the sense he is all that enamored with uh, pursuing that. And I I wouldn't say that there's anything really uh, breaking news worthy out of this uh, CM Punk interview if you are optimistic that he's going to be doing wrestling in the next year. Very interesting. I mean, sounds... He's a a fascinating guy. I think that every time he talks, there's just a general interest of what he says because you you certainly he he speaks rarely but when he does it's it's engaging sounds to me it's it's just he's just waiting for somebody to offer him a big money deal okay if i have to read between the lines here and do you think something like that has is under the consideration of a new japan or a ring of honor or whoever's out there right now um and and do you think those places have already put out an offer according to punk he's saying no I think that Punk is mentally done with professional wrestling, but I don't think the door is completely closed. If you follow enough of what he has said and just given inklings towards things, I think what he really wants is he wants to be wanted. Even when he walked out of the WWE, he talked about on Cabana's podcast that he was he ended up being fired on his wedding day, of course, and that he, when he walked out, didn't assume that was it, that it was going to be something where the WWE comes back to him, that they work something out, and he was almost taken aback when he was finally fired at the end of it all. I think that if there was a company out there that was really serious about going after this guy, and that doesn't mean just simply calling him up and, hey, we, we've got some ideas going around, or throwing out some ridiculous money offer. I think it's going traveling to this man's house, sitting down with him and explaining what your plan is, how he fits into it, and how he can contribute. And this is worthwhile for him. I don't think that the idea of him ever getting on board with a wrestling group is completely dead uh, for Punk. But I think that it's got to be the right offer and people treating him uh, a certain way and not just something frivolous like, for instance, a text message. Right, yeah. That's my psychoanalysis of CM Punk. Well, who doesn't want Probably not the easiest head to get into. Who doesn't want to be wanted? Isn't that what we all want in life? I hope you feel wanted, Way. Yeah, sure. I think he just wants... if, If a wrestling company is out there that is very serious and has a role for him to do something... And has the budget. And you would think... Yeah, and has the budget. I don't think he he wants to do it for nothing either. But I don't think money is the be all end all for him either. I think he wants to be compensated, and that as well is a it's. A but we're talking thing. a pretty high threshold, you know. He might not be looking for the same money that he would have made in the WWE, but I also don't think I think no. I think the the, the 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 amount of places that can afford him are aren't going to be a, a, a big list. Like remember that this guy, um, when he did that Cabana interview. Think of how much money he could have made for doing that interview in 2014. Now, it ended up actually uh, costing him quite a lot of money to do that interview. But uh, I've never been struck by the guy being completely money motivated. But money is often tied to respect as well. If you are looking at what your value is, 
Um, that's typically how people assign a value and how others view you is how much they're willing to pay you. Mm. But I do get the sense that fighting is probably, it, it seems like it's more of a, it, it's, he's stated at the beginning of 2019, he's going to make a concrete decision about fighting again. And if this commentary gig goes well, um, you know what, maybe that's something he wants to pursue more of. I don't know how many high profile commentary gigs there are out there for him, but it could be something that that's at least a small thing that he does. And that's how he stays connected to mixed martial arts, which he clearly has a passion for. But what's going against him is he's 40 years old. Well, good luck to him. Some other stories going on today. Another interview way. I don't know if you ever listened to the UFC Unfiltered podcast, but nope. uh, this is hosted by Jim Norton and Matt Sarah, and their guest on Tuesday was UFC President Dana White, who was asked if he had seen the Chuck Liddell-Tito Ortiz fight. I love Chuck Liddell, and I don't ever want to badmouth Chuck Liddell. People even think I'm remotely badmouthing Chuck Liddell, but the reality is, first of all, I heard last week the cokehead Oscar Della Weirdo is talking shit that I don't have any place to tell guys when to retire. First of all, it's called friendship, you fucking cokehead. I've been friends with Chuck Liddell for 20 years, and the reality is that Chuck Liddell retired when he should have retired, eight, nine years ago, however long it was. And Chuck Liddell's almost 50 years old and has no business fighting anymore. The fact that the state of California even let that fight happen is disgusting. Disgusting! I, I mean, outside of the cokehead stuff, which I, I don't know all that much about... I don't disagree with Dana at all. No, I think that you can have many, many, many criticisms of Dana White. His handling of Chuck Liddell, not one of them. I think that's one of his more uh, shining moments of definitely putting discretion ahead of money. Because he could have gone and made a lot of money off of Chuck Liddell, even as he uh, whittled away into his 40s after that Rich Franklin fight. And he put his foot down and... Didn't want to see his friend go through that. And I think uh, history looks very fondly upon Dana White's decision. And that was only reinforced on Saturday. So, uh, but this was like classic Dana White going nuts, which we don't see all that often. I mean, this was the most fired up I can recall Dana White in a long time. Uh, and his target was Oscar De La Hoya, who it was kind of weird. It was almost like he's... Uh, him and Donald Trump have to have this thing in common where they just assign nicknames to their enemies and they never refer to them by their name, whether it's like Crooked Hillary. It, it, Dana even caught himself at one point about to say De La Hoya and, and like bit his tongue and quickly called him Oscar De La Dummy. Mm. <laughs> and he referred to him as a cokehead numerous times uh, throughout this this interview. These were quite the uh, – this was quite the promo from Dana White. But on the term – on. Chuck Liddell, it was, I mean, it's been pretty unanimous coming out of it uh, that this was a pretty disappointing fight. And obviously Dana White would be in that camp as well. Mm -hmm. Um, It was, if you want to hear a a really engaging interview, Ariel Hawani had Chuck Liddell's longtime trainer, John Hackleman, on his show on Monday. And this was the first fight in forever that John Hackleman did not corner Chuck because he did not agree with Chuck coming back to fight. And he was pretty upset on Monday, like the most upset I can recall, especially talking about his, one of his best friends in Chuck Liddell. And he just said that 
He should have shouldn't have been there, and he will be very active in making sure Chuck Liddell does not fight again because there's people around him that obviously didn't have his best interests at heart. And it was weird because I just saw that Creed two movie on the weekend, yeah. and man, like I felt it? like I loved it. I thought it was great. If you enjoyed the first Creed, I thought this one was just as good. They use such – the story of this one, without giving anything away, is it's Apollo Creed's son against Ivan Drago's son. Awesome. Ivan Drago being the one who kills Apollo Creed in Rocky Two. Hey, spoiler alert. Rocky Four. sorry. Yeah, spoiler alert, John. Some of us haven't seen Rocky Four. If you haven't seen Rocky Four yet, then what are you doing with your life? Doing wrestling the greatest, podcasts. The greatest franchise in movie history. Yeah, Other well, than some of Rocky us have five. to watch th- three, five hours of, of pro wrestling every single week. I might not have gotten around to Rocky Four yet, which I was about to do, but it's okay. I'm not that upset. How many Rockies have you seen? I've seen every one. I've only seen the first one. Are you kidding me? Yeah, that's one way that you just have to eventually make time for. Well, let's st- let's get on with the show then. All right. Uh, was there anything else we wanted to uh, discuss here? I've already written the description way, so I've got to get to this stuff. Um, what else do we have here? Uh, LAX, they were supposed to work the Evolve shows in uh, December. They've been pulled by Impact Wrestling. Santana tweeted out that due to contractual obligations, they will be unable to do these shows. So some weird stuff going on there, obviously, because Impact is not taping that weekend. They've finished their taping for the rest of the year. So I wouldn't expect Impact talent to be on Evolve shows, but we'll try and find out more about what's going on there. And the first XFL team looks to be going to St. Louis way. So get the car ready. Maybe we'll go on a road trip. And it, uh, this was reported out of a uh, KSDK that the St. Louis uh, franchise will be playing at the dome at America center. And the other teams are expected to be announced next week. So the XFL, it is in full throttle way. Awesome. Yeah, let's get it let's get it going as soon as we can. So 2020. Uh, so Vince McMahon can distract himself with something else. Do you see them landing a big deal uh for this? Oh, um I think they will. Sure. Why not? I don't know what the I have no idea what the 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 craving for uh football programming is out there. Mm, you know, certainly Vince has a lot of connections right now, having just gone through uh, contract negotiations. Jeez, I don't know. But are people going to watch this thing? I think there's going to be a curiosity for it. You also have... As um, always, like there was the first time. But beyond that, beyond the first couple weeks, is there this demand? Well, you have Charlie Ebersol's league that is going to be launching a year before. So it's it's two of these football leagues that are going to be launching in consecutive years that you would think that that's going to be a lot of football product. And I mean, there wasn't a giant demand in 2001, but today just to be successful, if they land a giant television deal, they're already pretty successful. Um, It's, it's not as contingent on, you know, having a large fan base as amazing as that is. It's just securing, a distribution deal, which they're in a very lucrative time period to do so. Mm-hmm. So that will be the big story to watch. I with guess the, it just, yeah. I, and also to see whether or not that, that bubble of, you know, uh, these, these TV networks and, and streaming services paying huge, huge, huge dollars for all the sports programming they can gather, whether or not that bubble bursts by the time that they're ready to sell. 
Well, those are your news items. If you want to read more, you can go to postwrestling.com. And that takes us into SmackDown from the Target Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Show started off with Paige inside of the ring to bring out the conquering hero, Becky Lynch. She said she's done watching. She's putting herself back in the game and calls out Charlotte Flair. Charlotte comes out and Becky says, if I was you, Ronnie would not have been standing the next night after the Survivor Series. And then tells Charlotte, I don't think you know who you is, which maybe is my favorite line of the year. And said that you had to channel me to beat up the champion. Charlotte said, I was just being myself. And I'm the only one capable of giving Rhonda the beating she deserved because I'm genetically superior. Bringing up her old catchphrase. And Becky said, she went from copying her old man to copying the man. And you're just a bootleg Becky. Great Charlotte line. Great line. What bootleg a great Becky. No, no, she, no, no, no. You went from copying your old man to copying the man. Yes. Wonderfully scripted. Charlotte said Becky is copying her father and now riding her coattails. And then she turns to the hard camera, cuts a promo on Rhonda. And then Becky uh, says that we can do this right now. A challenge was made, but a match would not come out of this challenge, which would be a theme tonight. Paige then is standing there for the, all of this, and she announces it will be Becky Lynch versus Charlotte in a TLC match on December the 16th, which later, the announcers reminded us, the first ever women's TLC match. Yeah. Maybe they can have waterfalls uh, as the theme song for this pay-per-view. Mm. The rest of the locker room then made their way out. First, it was the iconic Zelina Vega, Mandy Rose, and Sonya Deville. And Mandy Rose takes issue with the comments made by Charlotte that they just haven't been given a chance and accuses Paige of favoring her PCB teammates. Yeah, I don't think you? one person thought of this when these three were in the ring at the I beginning of the show. I mean, Absolution, I suppose, was, was somewhat recent. But PCB, they, what, had maybe like a month-long run? They seemed like the shortest of the three. Who who was it? We had, uh, who, who was the uh, Naomi, Sasha Banks, and Tamina? What there's was their quite, group? There's quite a trivia question. Um, were they called Unity? Or was that just no. their catchphrase that they did with that? Team that Bad. Little, Team Bad? I think that was them. Wasn't that Sasha That's and Naomi? It was Sasha, Naomi, and Tamina was the team, but I, I think you're right. Team bad. And then there was also the Bella Army or uh, Team Bella. Who was in that besides the Bellas? Alicia. <laughs> I don't remember any of this. Very, very vaguely. Naomi, Asuka, Carmella, and Lana came out. There was a big Asuka chant, and Naomi agrees with Mandy. The whole roster's packed with talent. Any of them can be champion. Even Lana here. And Paige announces, well, we're going to have a battle royal. And the winner of the battle royal will get to join Becky and Charlotte in a three-way match at the TLC pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. It's certainly interesting. I think having Becky versus Charlotte as a straight up TLC match that would have been just fine, but I'm I'm thinking the reason why they might want to add another person in here is, you know, where do you exactly go with Becky versus Charlotte after the TLC match if either of them wins? I I think they still want to protect both commodities at this point, and whoever gets this third position is likely. Um, it's kind of a, I guess 
yeah, nobody's really taking a fall. So maybe it's a way for them to elevate this third person by injecting her into this uh, pretty hot rivalry between these two. Or maybe it's, you know, just a way to somehow protect the other two. But, you know, I think TLC is also the type of match that might benefit from having another body there while, you know, one person recovers from a big stunt. I really liked the opening uh, bit of back and forth between Charlotte and Becky. I I think that feud still feels really hot. But the only misstep is just going back... Yeah, just going back to two weeks ago and why they decided to, you know, it's such a small thing in the grand scheme of things. But No, it's, it's not. That was the end of the feud and it was Becky and they buried the hatchet. And then all of a sudden we're right back to where we started. I don't know why that happened in yeah. hindsight. I mean, it's a small thing in that it was a split second action that didn't take that much time, you know, but it affected a whole lot because... In doing that, I think you you just kind of overstepped the the relationship too much. You kind of went forward into a conclusion that clearly they weren't ready to give. And now after Survivor Series, they're kind of going backwards and, you know, trying to convince us that these two aren't friends. And forget that hug. Didn't really mean anything. They're back to being bitter rivals. And I think it would have just been a lot more, more of a, a natural flowing storyline if that whole segment had ended without that, uh, like a lot of people probably suggested. I just wish they had booked that segment with some foresight in mind of what are we going to be doing after this? And it could have been Becky being told by Paige or Shane or anybody, you're not cleared and you can't compete at Survivor Series. And Becky just storms out and it's someone else that has to choose Charlotte as the replacement. Uh, But it's the whole problem with the Survivor Series um, brand versus brand thing to begin with like for a long time I think like during that month even something as as you know uh, as, like something like so- Sonia being a babyface and joining in on that group hug in that segment she was a babyface leading up all the way until Survivor Series but yet in this segment she came out with the, with a bunch of heels with Mandy you Rose. literally need a guide to follow who are babyfaces and heels well, especially it is so during- disjointed yeah, especially during Survivor Series where, you know, like they always just kind of sacrifice ongoing storyline for whatever this brand loyalty stuff they're trying to sell. And then the week right after, they just go back to resuming, you know, uh, uh, rivalries as if we, we hadn't seen what, what came in the prior month. I mean, Dana Brooke, that was her turn on Monday night, yeah. was just joining in on this attack. Mm-hmm. You had literally seen her on the babyface side the night before at Starcade on the network. And the next night, she's a heel. I just think that they, there's there's so much flipping back and forth, and it's one thing if it's Dana Brooke, but it's quite another when it's Braun Strowman, when it's Charlotte, and you're taking significant characters, and they're just they're shifting by the week. I can't I can't even tell you Charlotte's a heel at the end of tonight. She yes. was in this segment, but Shades that doesn't mean she's a heel coming out of this. Shades of gray. Great. So our battle royal was set up for later tonight. The Usos cut a promo in the rafters. They were going to be taking on the bar. Some mixed match challenge promos. And then a new sponsor spot, KFC Chicken and Waffles. Man, featuring Santino Morella and Beth Phoenix. I want to try these chicken waffles. I don't know if they have them in Canada. KFC wa- Chicken Waffles. Chicken I and ch- waffles. I'm a Chicken and Waffles fan. I'm not a KFC fan, so I'm kind of torn. What's wrong with KFC? 
I've gotten food poisoning at KFC more than once, so I'm kind of. Uh, I thought that was uh, Subway. It, no, I've I've gotten sick at KFC. I've oh, gotten okay. sick at uh, multiple places in my life. Oh well. Well, don't let one bad experience ruin you know the whole world of KFC that's out there. The Bar versus the Usos, non-title match. <laughs> this was the best. I bet. Not even everyone listening to this even heard this line because it was so throwaway. Tom Phillips just casually mentions the bar and the big show had a falling out earlier today. Yeah, they showed it. Did they show it? They showed a clip. Yeah. I missed the clip. So that's on me. It was a clip where um, I I went to the YouTube just to find out and I couldn't find anything. No, they showed it. They they were backstage. It was earlier today. Cesaro was blaming the big show for... uh, not helping them or or not pulling his weight during the Thanksgiving feast match last week. So uh, Big Show knocked them out, and that was their breakup. Okay. so That was I, great. So I guess the I don't know what the point of all that was. I'm guessing Big Show might be a babyface again. Um, I don't know what the point of any of it was. <laughs> he turned again. Oh, great. Jay went for this tope, and the idea was he was going to dive over the top, and Cesaro was going to leap up and hit him with an uppercut. That sounds really impressive. Also, damn near impossible, as this played out. Sheamus attacked Jay with a knee drop off the turnbuckle. Then Sheamus was sent into the post. Usos fired up with super kicks. Jay goes for the splash and is hit with a Cesaro uppercut. Sheamus then gets his knees up as Jimmy goes for a splash. Gets a near fall, and then the Usos come back. Double Insiguris to Cesaro. Super kick by Jay to both of them. And Jimmy hits the splash, pinning Cesaro. So, looks like the Usos are back into a title program with the bar, whose gimmick is they're losers. I guess so. Yeah. They're on a losing streak. Your champions are on a losing streak. Yeah, I, when was the last time they actually won? When they had the Big Show's help, maybe. Maybe it was mm. pre-Big Show. Yeah, so they've lost against the New Day. They lost against AOP because of the pissing, of course. And then uh, now they've lost to the Usos. So, man, that's kind of rough for those guys, unfortunately. Uh, but I am glad to see the Usos, you know, get the spotlight again. Let's hope it isn't another false start because they've been really painfully underutilized this year. I feel like, I mean, seeing these two work in the ring, they should really be far bigger stars than they currently are. And I... Uh, I would say, you know, that's kind of one of the big uh, fumbles, I would say, of SmackDown this year. The Miz plugged the Marine Six to the New Day, and they laughed about his loss last week, and they rhymed off the names of Wayne, Dane, and then Big E showed a picture of Sane. Yeah. Featuring Kyrie. And then he mentioned Kane, and he started singing, like, the Finger Eleven theme song, I think. Big E was just on... Another planet during this promo. During this whole you, night. Like, I they did so. a spot in the match where... Um, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I want to talk about this right now. Yeah. Where The Miz pulls off the turnbuckle, and so Big E <laughs> climbs onto the apron and holds a stack of pancakes to replace the turnbuckle. And I'm just thinking, wow. Like, you're really in, like... Like, you're really showing uh, your your BDE right now. They just don't give a fuck. Like, any crazy idea that they have, I'm going to replace the turnbuckle with a stack of pancakes. And I'm going to do it on national TV, and people are going to pay $45 million for this episode. Isn't that going to be great? 
And they just went ahead and did it. And I was like, Hold up. they did they did it. The man went on TV and replaced the turnbuckle with a stack of pancakes. And was, he's probably more over as a result of it. But they, they can do anything they want right now. And I would say Big E, probably even more than any of them, is just like the type to just go completely with whatever crazy idea he is off the top of his head. Next year, Way, this episode will be worth $3.9 million. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, what about last night's edition of Raw? Like, this, I, I would justify uh, paying a closer amount to that than what... Uh, what Raw's what making more than was. SmackDown a year. So they're getting even more for Raw. Yeah. Yes. You know who was most upset during that pancake spot with the turnbuckle exposed? Who's that? Toriano. It's like, damn it. That's great. Yeah. yeah. That's a dream match right there. New Day say that they were the only ones to win a match for SmackDown at the Survivor Series after Miz was putting over how him and Shane were hurt last week on SmackDown during their tag match loss. Miz says that their match didn't count. So Miz also points out the Usos won your match, not you guys. That kind of shut them up. And Miz says, I can beat all of you. And Miz is going to go request a match. And Big E then starts rhyming off the bio of Jake Carter, who is the Miz's character in the Marine, and Kofi and Xavier called him a closet mariner or a mariner, which yeah. are the fans of the Marine. And mm-hmm. Biggie just goes off camera yelling away. This segment was brought to you by Acid. Yeah. I mean, it's like the it's goofy New Day stuff that I think uh, New Day fans will find really funny. I enjoyed them pointing out their own booking errors, bringing up the six and one, and then how they shot down the New Day by saying that they actually were the ones who lost and the Usos were the ones that actually won. So showing a bit of self-awareness about how uh, bad their writing has been. (laughs) Awesome. AJ was in the back. Did this entice you to want to see the Marine Six? This is quite the uh, promotion that they God, no. Are you kidding promoting? me? Like the this whole Marine series, like on the on the main TV, has always been a joke. It's just like it's they don't even make an effort to make you want to like. I would say like Becky Lynch being a part of this movie, I think, is actually something that's really great for for this movie. They just kind of lucked into having the hottest star of the moment be have a have a big have a role in your movie, and it's not really all that much promoted, at least not as a serious thing, you know. Um, yeah, it's it's only our like major motion picture division that we have a, a whole studio department for, and the face of our WWE studios is the delusional Hollywood actor. <laughs> but the weird thing is, they still keep making them. They're like they're up to number six right now, so it tells me that these are at least they must be profitable. Somebody out there, yeah, th- th- their studios division is is not the is not a very strong part of their portfolio. There there are investors that. You know, continually question why they continue to do these. Th- th- this entire division. What what benefit could there be if they're not I mean, actually some, making money? I mean, when they when they partner with uh, you know other studios now to to produce films, it it lowers the cost. But this is hardly a big profit arm of the company. It's, are they like getting grants or something? You know, um, are do they just have a lot of film stock that they? 
purchased like 10 years ago for the condemned or something and now they're trying to use it all i mean i think they like the idea that they produce films and the the original idea was that this was going to take our wwe talent and make them into big time movie stars and that is <laughs> not exactly panned out as hey, have you seen the chaperone yeah. I mean, think about that logic of how big The Miz would be by now, by the time we're at the Marine 6. I mean, he's been in, what, like, at least three of them. Yeah. AJ Styles is in the back. He's summoned for his segment, and he comes out and notes it's been 14 days without the WWE title. And he knows what it's like to want something so bad in the case of what Brian did to him. But what he's upset about is what Brian did after the match. And said as a result of that attack, he wasn't cleared for the Survivor Series or last week's SmackDown. And he showed some highlights of Brian's interview last week. And he's going to smash Brian's face in. And then AJ says, maybe we can do it tonight. And everyone cheers. And the babyface informs them, psych, Daniel Bryan isn't here tonight. And he also wasn't at the house shows on the weekend. Maybe he's been watching Raw and getting some ideas of how they do things over there. So he tells him to rest up, get out of your hyperbaric chamber, because that title belongs to me. So this was our second match of the night where we had a babyface suggest, why don't we do this match right now? And we did not deliver such a match for this crowd in Minneapolis, who at an hour and 20 into this show had watched one match on this show. I think for next week, John... I'm going to tell you that I'm going to do Rewind Raw, and then I'm not going to show up. (laughs) We can do this right now. Or not. And then you just (laughs) sign off. Where where, where was Brian? Do you know? I don't know if he did a dark match. Maybe uh, we we can look that up as as we're doing this. I'll do that. Sure. Uh, He he was off the the live events this past weekend, so I imagine that's part of his... Uh, schedules that you know he gets certain weekends off and yeah maybe he actually wasn't at the show on Tuesday unless he did a post-show dark match Tom Phillips mentions that Lars Sullivan is the hottest free agent and Shane McMahon is pursuing the freak yes the dark match uh, was Jeff Hardy and AJ Styles against Samoa Joe and Randy Orton all right so I guess Brian was not there Hardy pin Joe oh okay that that wraps that up then I guess so, yeah. Shinsuke Nakamura and Rusev came out. They were about to have a match right now, but Nakamura had other other thoughts. He nails Rusev with a knee to the back of the head as Rusev is tearing his shirt off, hits him with a Kinshasa, the bell doesn't even ring, hits him with another as he staggers to his feet on the floor, and Nakamura exits. So that looks to be probably a TLC match. Mm-hmm. I'm, and I'm hoping they get a bit more build, uh, a bit more story coming out of this. I think on paper, it's like it totally makes sense. And it kind of surprises me that they didn't already do it. Or did they already do this? Nakamura it's, Rusev. They haven't done this. Okay. Or at least as a, as a program. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, neither man has been doing anything at all. So I, I have no idea why, you know, these two didn't immediately get to a program like this when they both wrapped up their earlier uh, pro- uh, whatever feuds. And I'm trying to think, I just remembered right now that there's this guy named Aiden English that uh, a month ago was actually, Who? yeah, he hasn't been heard of at all. So, um, you know, unfortunately, the end of that program looks to, to mean the end of, of that character. What a run. 
What yeah. a run he had. Too bad. Then we come back. Uh, they announced on Tuesday afternoon that tonight would be the celebration of Jeff Hardy's 20th anniversary in the WWE. My question, Way, uh, if you were to get married and then 10 years into your marriage, you got divorced, but then you got back together seven years later, which anniversary would you celebrate? The first, mm. the first wedding or the second wedding? That's a very good question. Yeah, like if, you know, for half of those years, I was married to somebody else. I can't really go back to my first wife and celebrate our original marriage, right? Um, I guess. At its, at its essence, celebrating an anniversary is celebrating that uninterrupted time period. Mm. I mean, other than that, you're just... All you're doing is acknowledging that you were alive 20 years ago and you happened to be with this woman. But 20 years, this is not an anniversary in in that sense. Yeah, that's kind of true. Like if, um, you know, if uh, uh, I'm trying to think of a name from the past, like if Duke Drosy all of a sudden came back and had a match on Superstars, would he be celebrating his, his like 23rd anniversary or whatever from 95 when he was there. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I don't think that really counts. No. So the locker room is out on the ramp. And the man to host this was Michael Cole. The same man who was just livid at this brand over the past month. I don't know why Michael Cole had to be the one to host this. That's a but. great question. Well, I guess he, I mean, he is the longest tenured announcer. He was, who was around for his first run, I suppose. He was also <laughs> oh, around. That, for, that was so important. Yes. Yeah. No. But, needed, needed that link. And listen, it's, it's the whole Survivor Series thing that I think just, you're supposed to forget about. Oh, I wish I could just not think about this brand split at all. And then we could just do stuff like this. If they don't give any kind of thought to this, what, why should we care about this brand split at all? Um, Jeff it comes out, very big reaction he gets. And then we got a music video done to all of Jeff Hardy's highlights. Uh, for all you uh, fans of this video, this was Know My Name by TJ Stafford. That was Know My Name by TJ Stafford. Uh, this oh, man, feature, I wanted peroxygen. Per peroxygen. Yeah. With the question mark in there. Any chance? I'm I'm so surprised we've yet to hear a Peroxygen song. So so ah, goddamn! Stop it! Stop it! <laughs> Could you imagine Vince McMahon rocking out to Peroxygen? Have you ever yeah. listened to that music? I I mean I've been forced to like watching his matches like a TNA. That's that's all he would like. He, yes. Obviously, it was in his contract, but you have to play my music when I come out. Um, but in the WWE, not one note. <laughs> guys i'm willing to come back this is my only demand no jeff no <laughs> uh they showed him winning his first wwe title from edge 10 years ago we even got a shot of cm punk in this video hardy thanks everyone he says the business has given him a creative outlet looks at one of the photos in the ring and says my face paint is much better than it was 10 years ago he's been through some highs and lows but the people have always stuck by his side there were Hardy chants. There were Delete chants. He thanked his wife and daughters. And then he said, I don't know what's in the future, but let's find out together. 
And then Samoa Joe interrupts, and he came out, not with any girl guide cookies, but with a stern look on his face, and said, Jeff, I was in the back popping bottles, but I thought bringing some champagne out here around you probably isn't a good idea. And the whole audience just gasped, this despicable heel. And this really upset Shane McMahon, who got right into Joe's face. The only man here to stand up for Jeff Hardy, the tough Shane McMahon. Joe says that Hardy, it's pretty great that you could watch all these highlights because you probably weren't coherent enough to remember those moments when they happened. Joe doesn't celebrate weakness or give second chances when there's men like him who haven't even gotten their first. And it makes him sick that Jeff is on this pedestal that the fans have put him up on and he has let the people down just as many times as he's excited them. The demons are always lurking to take control and there will be a next time, Jeff. But Joe's got a one-step program, but it isn't going to be painless. Hardy just says that he's almost ended his career, but he still lives for the moment. And Jeff says, Joe, we can do this right now. And Samoa Joe teases this match. These fans are just starving for a wrestling match. 80 minutes into the show, Joe walks out on them. Third challenge of the night. Yeah, what do you think? You were going to get wrestling on this show? <laughs> no way. This was just too much of the, like, the, the teases of these matches. I felt for this crowd in Minneapolis. It's like this was a long period that they, they had a tag match during this three quarters of the show. I guess they did get it. They, they got this uh, in, in, the, in the dark match, didn't they? Yeah. Half of it. A tag match. So, uh, what did you think of the promo and the direction to use this? Uh, obviously, uh, real issues with Jeff Hardy for this program. I thought this was excellent. First of all, it was it was just nice to get a really good feel good moment putting the spotlight on Jeff Hardy. I know you know at the end of these things, you always have to turn it into the to into an angle. You have to put focus onto the next match. But I think it felt very genuine. Uh, in the moments that, you know, this music video played, it was wonderful to watch. It felt very special. 20 minutes or 20 years in this industry, regardless of, I think, where, where you, uh, would have, you know, wrestled is an accomplishment. And I'm glad Jeff Hardy had that moment. But when Joe came out, he cut this like incredibly scathing promo and to me pointed out a lot of real painful truths, but at no point did I feel like he overstepped his boundaries. I don't think he said anything in his promo that Jeff hasn't already covered in his DVDs or various interviews. And Joe delivered all those lines, I thought, with so much heated passion that it just made me really want to see this match. I wanted to see Jeff Hardy get his revenge in a match on, on Samoa Joe, and at no point did I feel uncomfortable. So I thought this was a great segment. Yeah, I mean, there's, on the one hand, I think this company is on quite a horrendous run of taking real life issues and exploiting them. I didn't really feel that here, although I'm not giving the benefit of the doubt uh, of knowing where they may take this. The difference I really is, I don't I really don't want to see alcohol poured on top of Jeff Hardy, which I feel is the next step in all of this. Yeah, that might be tough. But I would say the difference between this and something like Roman is that Jeff has re- recovered. I mean, he's still probably battling, you know, addiction every single day, but he's been sober for an extended amount of time. He's he's at a point where I think he can determine that he's beat this, at least for the time being. We don't know that about Roman, 
And thus, that's, you know, and then it's also a much, yeah, it's a very serious issue in both cases. But Let, let's remember, Jeff also had a DUI this year. So it's not as though this is distant history either. That was in March. Yes, fair enough. Um, but I guess according to his uh, his career, you know, he's been a consistent member of this roster and um, probably doing better now than he has for many years uh, of the past decade. I mean, the flip side is I think audiences, they typically they respond to, you know, promos and emotions that the, where there is a a believability to this, that there yeah. is a, a, a realness to it that this certainly has. And I think Joe is a really great heel in these situations that you can uh, kind of push this with. So, Man, uh, Joe, Joe is so great that like, he really is one of the best in the company right now um, on the mic. I'm trying to think who I would even rank above him, and it's not a very big list if there is a list, but no matter how many quick pins he eats, no matter how often the guy gets jobbed out, he'll come back and he'll deliver a performance like this. And to me, in my eyes, he'll jump right back into the main event scene. And it wasn't even his best performance this week. We'll talk about that on the double shot. That's right. Yeah, we will uh, We will get to that. Lots, lots more to come uh, tonight. We will preview the double shot before the end of this show. Kofi Kingston versus The Miz. Woods and E were out to distract on the floor and... Kingston landed a dive, went through the commercial. This is when Miz removed the turnbuckle, so we had the pancakes put in place of the turnbuckle to cover the exposed buckle. I've never seen that before. I don't even know how somebody would think of this. Um, <laughs> I mean, I know that they're probably getting tested. for. Um, maybe they're just paying the fines. But man, this was just an out there idea, and I can't believe they went through with it. So the match continued. Uh, post pancakes, the referee got distracted. Miz took out Xavier Woods while he was playing Francesca, turned around, was hit with the trouble in paradise. Kofi Kingston got the win. So we have another uh, losing gimmick with the Miz as well. So we have our tag champions and the Miz for those keeping track. Well, that's storytelling. You know? Yes. Re yes. Repetition. Storytelling. I've I still don't really know, um, like what the Shane McMahon stuff. It could this have been the the direction this whole time? Shane McMahon uh, winning the best in the world just to lead into some type of thing with the Miz. I'm not willing to believe that they are not going to eventually address this. That at some point Shane can turn and he's going to cut a promo on the locker room letting him down at Survivor Series. I have to imagine that's going to come up. But my God, does this man in the present look so stupid that he doesn't even care about this. I, I just think he's dead as a babyface because he, he comes off so... Like, he doesn't even care. And it's not even an issue. I think it's very frustrating. I think it's bad storytelling that there's not even hints of it. There's nothing addressing it. Like, even at the very least, just one of the announcers pointing out that Shane's got to be still processing what happened at the Survivor Series and what it meant for our show. Like, just something that tells me you guys have something in mind. It just feels like there's nothing in place at the moment. And 
you know, I'm sure at some point it gets addressed, but I, I think it's such a gaping hole with the SmackDown program at the moment that you did such a big buildup for the Survivor Series and Shane saying, I can't lose to my sister. And there's no consequences to it after. So what I, I think it's just you have a lack of faith in the in the storytelling when it's you invest in a story and there's no repercussion to it afterward. I do wonder, you know, with the Daniel Bryan uh, changes, how much that might have affected this particular storyline. Um, but, yeah, I'm still really quite perplexed about why Shane McMahon was the one chosen to win that tournament. Randy Orton came out with Ray's mask, and he recapped all the terms he's been called, disgusting, disturbing. But the word he would choose is euphoric. He never understood what was so special about this piece of trash, and he never bothered to learn the history because he didn't care. But he did emphasize, I did not intend to disrespect his culture. I just wanted to embarrass him. This almost felt like they got some heat last week for uh, this being disrespectful against, uh, I don't know, Come on, Mexicans who or something. That? I don't know. I, it was a strange line for Randy Orton to, you know, just kind of uh, couch his criticisms. I, I have nothing against Ray's uh, ancestors, but I just want to embarrass the man. Ray comes down in his neck brace. He re-injured it since Starcade, and they announced he had a bruised trachea. So they fought on the floor. The neck brace was taken off. This is a very, uh, you know, this a very disposable neck brace. He fights back, hits a pair of six one nines, and then he grabs a chair. But Ray is too busy turning his back to Randy, holding the chair up so the last person in the last row in the bleachers can see his chair. That he gets nailed in the ropes and hit with a draping DDT, and then Randy takes the chair, places it under his throat, and drives it into the steps, and Ray's head popped off and went into the fifth row. Yeah, really just further damaging that trachea. And what happened at the end of this? The crowd starts chanting, Randy. (laughs) I mean, he looks way too cool doing all this stuff, doesn't he? But I really like the promo from Morton. It felt like a very solid old school heel promo. Uh, I I'm I think the man is just yeah like incredibly seasoned with his demeanor and character as a heel, and uh, I think he needs to be applauded. But um, I like the story. Like to me, it's like two veterans going out there and doing what they do best. Randy Orton being a really snaky. Viperish heel in Rey Mysterio playing a wonderful baby face. Maybe Cowboy Bob is going to show up and then Ray is going to get back up with Dominic. Yeah, sure. A grown up Dominic now. Dominic's about to wrap up his training at the Storm Wrestling Academy, so he'll be free in a few weeks. Yeah, I mean, I doubt that he he would be signing so soon. But do you no, think that no. do you think we get that? Uh, how th- how far do you think we are from from seeing that team up? I think Ray's going to definitely want to do that. Uh, I I hope Dominic travels a lot. He is you know right out of wrestling school. This guy should be getting just as many matches in as possible in as many different places. Uh, that you know his his name will allow him to open a lot of doors. But uh, the last thing I would be doing is going to the WWE if I was Dominic. Even in NXT, I think that that guy needs to be outside of the WWE system for several years before he's on their radar. Like, what's the rush? No, none. None whatsoever. 
Ray's going to be wrestling until he's 100, so you have lots of time. I, I really like this segment. I thought you had a great heel, a great baby face, and I thought it was kind of frustrating that the crowd, you know, it wasn't a huge chant for Randy, but it was there. And I think that that just, like, there are sometimes where you just see baby faces are booked very poorly and the crowd just sides with the heel. But I thought there was absolutely nothing wrong with this segment. This was like a great heat generating segment for Randy. And it's it's sometimes very tough with the audience of what way they're going to go and trying to figure that out. So I think there's also that, that at times, even with the best of intentions, it can not get the desired response. Yeah. Yeah. I guess if, uh, you know, if there's any criticism to be had, it's that perhaps these two feel a little, um, it, it's a fresh feud, but it doesn't feel fresh because, you know, we feel, it feels like we've already seen this before sometime in the past. Um, maybe crowd tastes have changed in that time, but I'm, I could still really enjoy it on the level of seeing these two kind of master performers doing what they do best. Shane McMahon was texting next to his World Cup trophy. Miz asks where he was and says, I can't will this team into existence on my own and tells him that that trophy together makes them family and Shane needs to start acting like it. I have I have no idea where this is going between these two, but I'm pretty sure I don't care. Probably a match, right? Ooh, great. Now, who's, who's the babyface and who's the heel? Because Miz has been doing a lot more babyface things lately. Please don't ask me. I don't know. I just don't know where. Shades of gray. Shades of gray. Battle Royal time. That was our main event. Match number three of the night. Featuring Carmella. Zelina. Wow, three matches. Three matches on this show, dude. Wow. R Truth came out with Carmella, uh, followed by the iconics Zelina Vega, Lana, Mandy Rose, Sonia Deville, Naomi, and to the biggest reaction, Asuka. And as I was looking at the graphic for this match, this was just a simple process of elimination of who of these women could you possibly imagine participating in a TLC match? Zelina Vega, the iconics. Lana, Naomi, Sonia Deville, Mandy Rose, Carmella, or Asuka? Well, going into it, I mean, certainly Asuka is the front runner, but they've also been giving a lot of it mic time to Mandy Rose, so um, I wouldn't have uh, wanted There's it. There's no way she's ready for a match like that. Well, you can argue if she's ready for anything. <laughs> well, okay, yeah, that's, that's not a point in your favor, I would say, of putting her in this match. But... We're, we're trying to get basic matches down Dude, they for her. Put, I don't know put, if putting ladders and chairs in there. They put Lana in a Money in the Bank match. Yeah, I'm not saying that. They use the best judgment all the time. Yeah, that's what I was. Uh, that's what I would say to my prediction for this match, too. Charlotte and Becky were sitting ringside, and Lana pulled Vega to the floor within 30 seconds, and then they just battled on the floor. A feud I cannot possibly envision continuing, but it probably will. The Iconics tossed Lana out after the break. Asuka used a hip attack to eliminate the Iconics. Then Carmella knocked out Asuka. We were down in the final four in record time. Asuka, Deville, Mandy Rose, and Naomi. Rose hit that flying knee to Asuka. Naomi hit the rear view to Rose. And then Rose blocked a Hurricane Rana and somehow was able to get this woman up and onto the apron where they fought. Naomi did the splits and then somehow Rose missed her and ran into the post and eliminated herself. Then Deville sent Naomi out. So it's down to Asuka and DeVille. 
they get to the uh, outside of the apron. Both hit each other with simultaneous kicks. And then DeVille runs at her, gets lifted with a knee strike, and Oscar wins in 10 minutes and 14 seconds. So we have Charlotte, Becky, and Asuka in a three-way TLC match coming up in December. The finish here I thought was very reminiscent of the Rumble this year with Asuka and Nikki battling on the apron and getting eliminated in a similar way. I'm also reminded that we've seen a lot of women's battle royals this year uh, going from kind of like That's none, right. none of them to like I'm counting at least like four. So I thought this uh, finish came across a little better than the one with Nikki. Um, the hip toss onto the knee thing, though, I, I do feel like kind of ended up looking a little bit hokey here. Nonetheless, I think Asuka is an interesting addition to this feud. I wonder how the crowd will take to her. Clearly, they've been treating her, and, and they've been listening. They've been treating Asuka as sort of like the next in line that this audience is really ready to get behind. So they want to see her receive a push, but do they want to see her take the title off of Becky? I don't know, and I kind of sense not. It was a little strange. This audience was cheering for Asuka all show. But at the moment she won and had the stare down with Becky and Charlotte, I think the crowd started to realize, oh god, now this favorite has to oppose the one we really like. So it suddenly seemed seemed a bit of a lukewarm reaction by the end of it. So my question for you, John, Becky, Charlotte, and Asuka, are any of them heels? <sighs> I was just going to ask you the same question. You could argue you have three baby faces. I mean, or it's got to be have- Charlotte. You know, the, the crowd will choose Charlotte. Oh, yeah. At most, you have one heel in this match in Charlotte. But, yeah, I think it's going to be more so that this is just going to be kind of a spectacle, this match, with a lot of big stunts that it's not going to rely as much upon um, the crowd backing one over the other. Like, certainly their favorite is going to be Becky. They'll and, be hot for the match regardless. Yeah. You know? And I think it should be a very entertaining match with these three women, uh, knowing what Becky and Charlotte are coming off of. Um, you know, uh, there is something to say about a woman being cleared from a concussion and putting her in a TLC match and Braun potentially coming off surgery to do his own TLC match. And maybe that tells you right there, the fact that they are probably not as optimistic about Braun doing that TLC match. If you're booking a second TLC match. Also maybe something to, you know, adding Asuka into the match as well. Right. That was SmackDown. Um, Hey, yeah, I don't know. Better than raw, raw, but I, I felt bars and bars and tone might have been better than raw. Oh. Um, I, I didn't think this was all that great of an episode of SmackDown. I think that you did have uh, some segments putting things in order, but I, I still think this show is very disjointed with with a lot of their stories that they're telling. I thought there was like a over reliance on non wrestling segments on this show that I think kind of wore a bit thin by the end, and I. The Battle Royal, the result was fine, but I, I didn't think this was much of a Battle Royal at all. No doubt, coming off a of Raw definitely curves my perception of, of this edition of SmackDown, but I had no issues really ex- in, sitting through two hours of this SmackDown. Uh, like, these main events just hit me, and I'm like, wow, it's already the main event. And that's always, I think, a positive feeling to have when you're watching anything uh, that that's supposed to be entertaining. I, I did not feel tired watching the show at all. It just kind of breezed by. I really enjoyed... I mean, you're right. There were a lot of promos, but I didn't almost mind it so much because I thought a lot of the promos were good. You had a great back and forth between Charlotte and, and Becky Lynch. I thought AJ's promo was quite good. 
Um, you know, this uh, Bar versus Uso match was a great TV match. And the main event, while it wasn't really the most entertaining match, I think it delivered uh, a result that at least had a lot more storyline consequences than what we got on Monday in any of those matches. So I, I can't really... I, I thought this was a good addition to SmackDown. Uh, reminding myself that I'm coming off of one of the worst editions of Raw I've ever seen. Yeah, that uh, that's always a big positive for for a SmackDown. Uh, so there you go. That was the show. Uh, Let's go to the mix mix match challenge very. Quickly oh yes, here. yes. It's so, playoff time. It is playoff time. So that means all the teams that uh, basically aren't the worst. Um, it's a weird playoffs in that like the only team that gets eliminated is the bottom team. So you just basically have to not be the worst in order to qualify for these playoffs. So they moved on to a single elimination tournament now. And the first matchup we have on the Raw side, Mahalisha taking on Total Eclipse of the Hawk. No official name. I heard some somebody somebody on Twitter suggested a cartoon. Mm, I don't know about that one. Cartoon. Anyway. So they bring up Kurt Hoggins losing streak. And, you know, from the get-go, Ember looks to be embarrassed to be with this guy. And the gimmick is that Ember is very reluctant to tag Kurt Hawkins in. Because she's afraid that the moment Hawkins tags in, he will lose the, 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 the match for their team. So it's the opposite of what they used to do with Braun, where Braun's opponents were always afraid to ever tag in. Uh, and in that sense, I, I actually find it co- quite funny and quite amusing. So Hawkins actually tags in, and he starts to do quite well. But some distraction from the Singh brothers outside causes Jinder to take control. I should note that viewership continues to exist in a nosedive for these on Facebook Watch. They're Can I predict? Hover- what? Did, did you get the high point of the show? Yes, I did. Okay. Last week, I it was like something around 13,000 last week, wasn't it? Something like that. I think they might have gone up. Okay. I'm going to predict the high point was, this is the playoffs, 28,000. Oh, God, no. You kidding me? Higher or lower? Dude, it was like 17.4. Like, I did oh not see more God. than that. Oh, my God. Dude. Yeah, it's really bad. Like, considering, like, I feel like three weeks or four weeks ago, they were doing like 53,000K or something. So, I don't know if there's something off with, like, the meter for Facebook Watch, but um, maybe we, it's... We no- will do more listeners than the Mixed Match Challenge does viewers, dude. Well, I mean, they do live counts, right? So, we don't know how how it's measured in archive. Maybe in archive, it's like, it's a, it's, it's a billion people. I don't know. But... There was not much reaction for, for this, even from the live crowd, I would say, throughout this match. Uh, Michael Cole does reveal to us that Braun Strowman underwent successful elbow surgery tonight. So, a bit of news for you there. Jinder is in control, and the match is as bad as you'd expect. He even does the same half-Nelson chin-lock thing that Baron does. I was just about to take a screenshot, but moved way too fast. Hot tag to Ember. crowd doesn't really react for it. She's about to hit the Eclipse. But Kurt Hawkins at this point blind tags her by tapping her foot. Ember hits the move on Alicia. And then Hawkins comes in and he tries to pin Alicia Fox. So the referee says, that's not how this works. You can't pin a member of the opposite gender. So Ember, she's frustrated. At the same time, the Sings are on the outside. So she runs to the floor, delivers a double 
eclipsed of the things off the apron, which looked really cool. But back in the ring, Jinder picks Hawkins off of Alicia, hits the Coloss, and wins. And so the commentators call Hawkins an idiot. Uh, they, they say it's a crying shame for Ember Moon losing this way after going undefeated throughout the whole tournament. So the undefeated monster Eclipse are now eliminated, and instead, Mahalisha move on to the Mixed Match Challenge semifinals. Oh, man. So there goes my idea for the Royal Rumble. Yeah, sorry. It seemed to be one and done here for Kurt Hawkins, unfortunately, whose losing streak stays intact. So congratulations to him. Kayla talks to Mahalisha backstage, and Jinder brags about somebody finally getting these hands. And Alicia looks forward to her vacation. I should also mention how, like... I feel like it's been really understated how like this 30th rumble spot stipulation, I, I, I don't really recall them making a big deal out of it on raw or SmackDown. Traditionally, like a stipulation like this, I feel, you know, it's, it's quite coveted so much so that like we were all talking about the survivor series match, possibly, you know, having bigger stakes or similar stakes to that. But, for as as little as they mention, like, you know, this 30th Rumble stipulation on the main TV shows, they don't really mention it all that much on the Mixed Match Challenge either. Instead, mm. I think it's the vacation that seems to be the bigger, <laughs> like, MacGuffin here for all of these teams. So, in their promos, they're all talking about where they want to go. Alicia is really looking forward to her vacation. It's all expenses paid. These teams just, like, care more about this all expenses paid vacation than being number 30 in the Rumble. Our next match, Balor and Bailey, Team B&B takes on Country Dominance, which is Lashley and Mickey James. So I guess these are both Raw matches. Yeah. So Balor um, tags in with Lashley, and I'm reminded that at this point that these two are currently engaged in, in a storyline. Um, and I don't know how much of that connected with most of this audience. The crowd reaction, again, was not that big here. Lashley goes to run around the ring to mock Braun Strowman doing his spot, but he's met with a sling, sling blade on the floor from Balor. Balor finally tags Bailey in, and she's about to dive onto Mickey onto the floor, but Leo Rush pulls ba- Bailey's feet off of her, and um, she, he, Leo Rush gets involved. Balor gets his hand on, hands on Leo. He plunges onto both Rush and Lashley, and then Bailey back in the ring delivers a Bailey to Belly onto Mickey. For the win, Team B&B advance. I thought this was an alright mixed tag team match, um, but not one that really received all that much reaction from this audience. And again, the viewership here on Facebook peaked at about like 17K. So at this stage of the tournament, I think, you know, they've certainly taken a much more serious and traditional, uh, um, you know, uh, slant on, on the styles of these matches. Gone are the dance breaks and the rap battles and kind of like all that stuff. And less people are watching. Less people are watching. I mean, as a result, like of being more serious, they've kind of lost a lot of the luster and fun and spontaneity that made some of these matches different from what you would typically see on Raw or SmackDown. So what you're getting now is a lot more straight up wrestling, but I don't know if that's what this audience cares about. Um, so we'll see if they make any adjustments next week. Uh, just one note I wanted to make before we go to the feedback. Uh, Edge, Adam Copeland, just uh, posted this statement that uh, his mother passed away today. So I want to send... Our condolences. Uh, very uh, lengthy statement that he put up on uh, on Instagram about uh, his mother who uh, passed away on Tuesday. So we Man. can now move to the feedback. Tonight's show, zero to ten. 
I'm still going to say that this one finished low way. I'm going to go with a four. I'm going to say 6.5. 6.5. Okay. A 7.41. Oh, if ever there was a bell curve, this was the show. <laughs> this was not a 7.41 show. I did not think this was a great SmackDown, but I think this is uh, just people are just uh, looking for glimmers of hope after Monday's debacle. I do think a lot of the promos were good. Um, 7.4, that's that's pretty high. That's a very high show way. Yeah. We're coming off a .83. For our board, it's it's pretty high. Brandon from Adelaide. Good show. Helps wash the bas- bad taste of raw out of my mouth. It was so good to see Becky on my TV again. I was experiencing Becky withdrawal symptoms, even though it had only been two weeks. I see Asuka being put into the TLC match as a way to take the title off Becky without pinning her. Well, there's not going to be pins in this, so that mm-hmm. eliminates that reason. Or else I would acknowledge your point as valid. So she could go on to win the Rumble, challenge Ronda. I do hope that's the case. But with Charlotte now getting a more noticeable reception, I cannot help but feel WWE will have her involved with Becky Ronda in some way. Yeah. I, I could see this match ending with Ronda coming out and brawling with Charlotte. And that should set up the Royal Rumble match. Like it's this chaotic scene of Ronda. Because if Ronda's in the same building as Charlotte, it makes no sense for her to not go and yeah, Unless Ronda herself her. just had a match and... You know, is very tired and injured from her own match. But this you know, woman had her neck snapped, and see, she came back and wrestled with. But she I wouldn't get tired. I don't know. I don't know if I would do that, John. Like I don't know if I would have Ronda come out and attack Charlotte as her main target when Becky Lynch is also there. Because your ultimate destination for Ronda is Becky Lynch. I wouldn't want to see her go after somebody else and not pay attention to Becky. She stated it though that Becky is is her ultimate goal, but first it's Charlotte. So I don't think yeah. I don't think that that's illogical. Yeah, but like okay, let's we're talking Avengers, okay? Like like let's say Tony Stark sees Loki in Avengers one, but Thanos happens to be in the corner. I mean, unless Thanos wasn't able to like was being protected or something, like you would assume Tony Stark would also want to shoot a, a photon missile at Thanos as well, wouldn't you? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, all I'll say, though, is that there should be a reason then explained of why Ronda doesn't get involved, because I think that's a big gap if they're they're under the same roof and Ronda does nothing. I think that that's a big hole because she is seething to try and get her hands on this woman. And you've got to do something then to whether she's uh, Naya attacks her and she's we she's taken out on a stretcher, something you've got to make some reason for it. Maybe she's off getting vaccinated. Just something. Chris Kent says, it's a bad sign that the only time I invest, I am invested in most matches these days on the main roster is when I'm begging them to not screw up the layup. Happy they recognize that they still have something in Asuka. I'm looking forward to the triple threat TLC match. As for the rest of the show, I wanted to watch the Canucks game at 7. I started the taping at 5.40 and still had enough time to watch this week's Being the Elite. But hey, we did get that fresh matchup of the Bar versus the Usos, so at least they made time for that. We go to Noah. Considering the tire fire that was raw last night, this edition of SmackDown was a breath of fresh air. A couple pieces of feedback for you tonight. First off, I thought the women's division was handled tremendously tonight. Adding Oscar to the program has got me way more interested in the TLC match rather than them just doing another Becky Charlotte match. Secondly, John, I'm curious to know if the WWE math was correct tonight on Jeff Hardy. Was it legit his 20th anniversary in the WWE? Well, it depends on 
what you consider his start in the WWE. He did sign his contract in 1998, so that would be correct of 20 years. However, he was doing jobs on WWE television as early as 1994. So his association with the WWE goes back further. And then if you want to complicate things, there's this little seven-year gap that's in there as well. But from when he signed a contract, it was 20 years. Rob says, I really enjoyed this episode of SmackDown Live. It's just such a better show than Raw. The first segment with Becky led into the final segment. It didn't drag at all like a multi-segment Baron Corbin match. I assumed Mandy Rose was winning since she led the heel group. I was happy that Asuka got a loud response in the first segment, but since Naomi and Mandy were the only talkers and WWE tend to make decisions that make no sense, I didn't think they'd go with Asuka. I was pleasantly surprised. How is this not the main event of TLC? With Braun Hurt, I pray this closes the show. The women are on the rise, and WWE should just listen to the fans. That worked tonight. It might go on last. Very well could end up the last match of the show. He, he says, my only complaint was Miz. I thought he was going to feud with Shane. Then he acts like a neutered heel, shilling his film. I guess they are. My guess is that they are slowly turning him face, but they should just rip off the band-aid and commit one way or another. Maybe it was that Raw was so bad and boring, but I really enjoyed the contrast tonight. Connor, who was at the show, live notes, Becky is easily the most over talent, but Charlotte was getting a very strong mixed reaction. Fun setup for the rest of the show. Miz is great, but seems to just be a face or heel, depending on what they need him that week to be. Crowd was super hot for Asuka whenever she was out. Nice to see them add her to the TLC match. Will be interesting to see how they utilize her, especially since Ronda may be getting involved at the pay-per-view. Also notable that Becky never mentioned Nia at all. Overall, really fun event to be at live, but not sure how it came off on television. I mean, that's not a match that they're building to, so, I mean, it doesn't serve a big purpose for Becky no, to but, be. No, but, I mean, Nia mentions Becky a lot, but I think that's just because it's part that's of... for heat, right? Yeah, it's part of Nia's character and her identity right now. Her, the whole reason why she's a strong heel is because she was the one who knocked out the fan favorite. Um, so, I think she was mentioning that because it's important for her. It's not as important for Becky to say, you know, I got my face knocked in by Nia Jax. Not until they actually have the match. We go to Ian from Chattanooga who says, How many times have we had one have we said that one show is better than the other and question how it's the same company that gives us so much good and so much bad in the same week? I'm rating the show a ten out of ten. Not I'm because- sorry, th- I didn't hate this show, but it's like just I think people were so turned off by Monday that <laughs> this was hardly the greatest show on earth either. I didn't feel. Not because of comparison to last night, but because I couldn't find anything wrong with the show. I watched two hours straight, 15 minutes last night. Rob from Mississauga. It was an okay episode of SmackDown this week, depending on how much time it gets. I think this triple threat women's TLC match has a good chance of being the WWE match of the year. Many people said that SmackDown won the superstar shakeup last April, but how would you guys rate the roster changes now with seven months of hindsight? Raw got Dolph Ziggler, Baron Corbin, Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, and Natalia. Samoa Joe got uh, SmackDown got Samoa Joe, Jeff Hardy, Miz, The Bar, and Asuka. I rated the same as I did when it actually happened. Like, I would say the, the biggest win. player of all of them of those listed would be Samoa Joe. Well, to to yeah, to us, but not not according to their booking, unfortunately. Um, but 
You know, Owens is is injured. Zayn's injured. Baron Corbin has has taken a huge step up in in their storyline. But that's I, I think to, much to the chagrin of anybody watching the show. Ziggler is is there. Natalia is there. Um, you know, she's got a big episode of Total Divas coming up tomorrow, and uh, Oscar's way diminished. The bar are just there on SmackDown. I mean, the Miz is. He's always involved in, in stuff, but I, I don't think he's a giant difference maker. Jeff Hardy, I kind of see the same. And Samoa Joe was in a big program all summer. Uh, I mean, this is not a a glowing look at, you know, 10 performers that greatly advanced their stock this year because of switching up shows. Maybe Baron Corbin, I guess you could say. I mean, he's in a he's in a good position. I think he's at least being pushed very hard. Of all of them, he's clearly being pushed the hardest of all 10 of these acts. We go to Scott from Minneapolis. Good show tonight. I did not attend in person. The last time I went to a WWE show was SummerSlam 1999, which mostly sucked despite Jericho, Rock, and Austin on the card. I really like the focus on the women tonight. Glad my hometown popped well for Asuka, who has always belonged at the top of the women's division. She has more charisma than most wrestlers. I hope they don't just leverage her to take the loss at TLC. Well, yeah, again, it's a, it's a ladder match, so two people are going to have to take the loss. Spent many more minutes watching the two-hour SmackDown versus the three-hour Raw. I scored 6-1 Blue Brand this week. Andrew, I'll start out by being harsher on this show tonight by giving it a 4 out of 10. It's hard to look at SmackDown as anything other than the definitive B-show after Survivor Series. The fact that WWE will bring up the six losses and Shane and Paige don't seem to care implies that they've accepted they are the weaker show. In storyline, SmackDown has a worse roster than the show that featured Jinder Mahal versus No Way Jose. Sure, there was good wrestling, but there seems to be no storyline reason for how SmackDown will improve or come back or anything. I get that angles get dropped, but this might be the worst one ever because it involves the entire TV show. It's raw roster and its champions jay from colorado pretty good show tonight and it kept my attention all the way through it was a completely different show from last night serious question why is this so are the writers so drastically different on smackdown does vince just take the night off no it's it's pretty much the same you know function in place and it's it does come down at the end it's vince mcmahon is Controlling, running both shows. Are there different head writers? Um, they have they have different um, people at, at the, like assigned, but you do have writers that are writing for both shows. Um, like you do have, you don't have distinct writing teams on on each show either. I see. Uh, we go down to let's go to Chris here from a very hot central Queensland, Australia. Maybe it's just the extreme heat. Talking today, but SmackDown was a 20 out of 10 compared to last night's Raw. While I'm glad to see Asuka added to the TLC match as the last woman standing match, we see Becky and Charlotte using tables, ladders, and chairs. I'm fearful that WWE will drop the ball on Becky before WrestleMania. And he goes on to talk about uh, the heat wave that they are having right now in Queensland. Well, we are not having a heat wave in in Canada. It's very cold here. Yeah, wow. It sounds uh, rather serious. So hopefully uh, everything is good for you. Over there, Chris, and everybody else in Queensland. Okay, we go to MJ, finally, who says, oh, who's got stuff for the double shot. So maybe we'll save it for that, and we'll uh, meet you guys all there. Sorry, I'm reading his comment now. It is much more serious. I thought he, I just saw heat wave here. Yes. Well, we hope everyone is okay in uh, Queensland. This sounds very reminiscent of what 
was happening in California over the mm-hmm. last couple of weeks as well. So hope everyone is safe. All right, that is going to wrap up this portion of the show. But wait, what do we have coming up on the double shot? A lot on the double shot this week. Uh, we'll be chatting WWE Starcade, the network special that aired over the weekend that at least some of you guys caught. It, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting experiment that they did, uh, essentially airing a house show in a one-hour format. So we'll talk about you and I, uh, the matches on the show, the segments on the show, and just overall the, the idea of doing something like this. As well, uh, did you have a chance to catch Edge and Christian's show? I did. We'll be chatting about that and uh, our highlights from it, including Samojo stealing the show and stealing the Girl Scout cookie stand. Oh, wow. High praise. Yeah. Uh, we'll also have uh, – I quickly watched uh, these two UFC shorts on Ronda Rousey and Daniel Cormier, which were kind of interesting as well. So I'll quickly go through those. There's a lot on the on, on YouTube this week. So we'll, we'll briefly you know, just catch everybody up on being the elite. Many people – thinking that this was the best episode of Being the Elite that they've seen. As well, I uh, caught some uh, offerings from uh, Ring of Honor on YouTube, as well as uh, New Japan World. So, lots of talk coming up on the Double Shot. Big packed edition of the Double Shot. If you want to join, you can at postwrestlingcafe.com. We'll be back later this week. Uh, First of all, British Wrestling Experience drops Wednesday. Really looking forward to this show. It will be Martin Bushby. Benno and their special guest, Will Cooling, chatting about all the big news going on on the UK scene this week with uh, the new contracts for the NXT performers, with Walter signing with the WWE, and then all of their regular news items and show reviews. So that drops Wednesday at postwrestling.com. You can subscribe to the British Wrestling Experience on iTunes. Way and I will be back on Thursday. Uh, with the cafe hangout we'll be live at three eastern time for all of our double double and above members of the cafe and joining us on that show will be jan murphy who just put out an excellent story on tj wilson tyson kidd and uh promoting this charity event that's going down in kingston ontario this saturday uh that tyson kidd will be a part of that's on Thursday. We'll also have Up Next Up with Braden and Davey on Thursday. Friday is our monthly Ask Away show on Patreon. And Saturday, we've got Eggshells with Chris Charlton, joined by Sean Radican of Pro Wrestling Torch, chatting 2012, Wrestle Kingdom number six they're up to. So all of that is uh, coming your way at postwrestling.com and postwrestlingcafe.com. So go check out the double shot, and we'll speak with you then.